Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. The admission rate for patients diagnosed with pulmonary emboli in the ED has remained approximately 90%, even though there is evidence to suggest that up to half of PE patients could be considered low risk based on currently used risk stratification tools. We're understandably concerned about clinical deterioration and adverse events affecting these patients at home in the first few days following discharge, and some of us lack confidence in the risk calculation tools currently used. So today we're talking about a new paper in AEM entitled, Can Right Ventricular Assessments Improve Triaging of Low-Risk Pulmonary Embolism? First author, Dr. Jaron Raper, is here to discuss it with us. Dr. Raper is an emergency physician and assistant professor at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. He serves the emergency medicine residency as an assistant program director and has academic interests in the risk stratification and treatment of acute pulmonary embolism. Don't forget to read the full text of this article available on the Brown Emergency Medicine blog at brownemblog.com. Dr. Raper, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about this paper. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about it. All right. So in the introduction to your paper, you note that when we're using the simplified PE severity index, or SPESI, up to half of the patients diagnosed with PE could be considered low risk and therefore eligible for early discharge and outpatient treatment, but actual discharge rates are consistently less than 15%. And I'm going to quote your paper. Mm -hmm. Emergency physicians are reluctant to discharge patients with acute PE, even if low risk. Um, I might be one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of us are. Yeah. (laughs) So what, what factors contribute to this discrepancy? Yeah. So, you know, I really divide these into two groups. Uh, So for the first category, I'd say it's issues related to the patient's access to resources and care. Mm -hmm. And so that could be lack of a primary care physician, maybe lack of follow-up. That's a big issue for many of my patients. And similarly, many of our patients don't have the resources that are really required to fill and maintain a prescription for anticoagulation, right? So those are kind of basic things. And then the other category is one that I would describe as being issues related to the decision tools themselves. Mm-hmm. And so our current risk stratification tools like SPESI and HESTIA, they're really designed to predict death and major bleeding and recurrent VTE. They weren't designed to be used to identify patients who could be discharged immediately from the ED. And additionally, these tools don't really incorporate right ventricular assessment methods like an echocardiogram or the CT-determined RV to LV ratio or even biomarkers. And so to me, that's problematic because we now know from the recent work of Barco and Beccatini that when these RV assessment methods are abnormal, mortality rates are higher. Finally, we now know from our prior work from the P-score database that up to 15% of patients that are considered to be low risk by these triaging strategies may experience significant clinical deterioration within just a few days of their presentation. So all these things are really concerning to providers and I think probably make us more reticent to discharge these patients. Okay, so your paper is... Uh, hoping to address one of these factors, basically looking at incorporating RV assessment into risk stratifying these PE patients. So you you started to get into it. What what do we already know? What other evidence has there been about the role of RV dysfunction in PE and adverse outcomes or mortality? Yeah, absolutely. So I say we know from the 2018 meta-analysis that was published in European Heart by Barco and his colleagues that the presence of RV dysfunction on admission is associated with a higher mortality rate than those patients that might not have evidence of that dysfunction. Mm -hmm. 
And then that work was then reinforced by another meta-analysis that was done by Beccatini. Uh, I think that was in uh, 2022, uh, maybe 21. But similarly, it examined mortality rates in patients with acute PE and found that those rates are significantly higher in patients with RV dysfunction. So it's now been reinforced with two meta-analysis where we know this is a problem. Okay. So what were the main objectives of your study? Well, in addition to mortality, we really wanted to determine if RV assessment methods add prognostic accuracy for five-day clinical deterioration. And this is in patients who are otherwise classified as low risk by SPESI. That's our first objective. And then the secondary objective was to identify which prognostic factors were really most influential or most predictive for those clinical deterioration events that we're going to describe. Okay. And so, and what were those events that defined clinical deterioration in your study? Yeah, so we did this in several ways. So first, rather than focusing on a 30-day time frame, we narrowed that focus down to five days. And the reason for that shorter time frame is that we really wanted to look at outcomes that occur within a period that I would argue acute care providers might feel responsible for. Mm. So for example, if your listeners discharge a patient from the ED after the diagnosis of acute PE, I'd guess that most of them wouldn't feel primarily responsible for a bad outcome that occurred on day 28. Mm-hmm. Conversely, I think we'd all feel pretty responsible for an outcome occurring on days one to five. And so that was really our, our focus and the reason for the change of the five days. Now, within that five-day time frame, we then define clinical deterioration a little bit more broadly. And so not just including things like death, but also respiratory failure that required emergent support. So that could include like BiPAP or intubation, but specifically we're excluding patients that had like CPAP as a clinical deterioration event. Mm. Um, So if they were getting scheduled nightly CPAP, that wasn't included. Mm -hmm. We'd also included patients that suffered a cardiac arrest, new dysrhythmia, sustained hypotension that required a fluid bolus or catecholamine support. And then we included patients that had escalated P interventions like systemic TPA administration or catheter-directed lysics, et cetera. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So you used data from two PE registries, uh, PESCOR and the short-term clinical deterioration after acute pulmonary embolism registry. So can you tell us a little bit more about each of these registries? Yeah, it's a, a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> so, so both registries were prospective and enrolled patients that presented to six different urban academic emergency departments. The centers were the same between the two registries. I'll explain that a little bit more uh, in a second. But Locations included Charlotte, North Carolina, San Diego, California, Nashville, Tennessee, Newark, Delaware, Orlando, Florida, and Salt Lake City, Utah. In the first registry, which we refer to as P-score, or the Pulmonary Embolism Short-Term Clinical Outcomes Registry, that, that was actively enrolling patients prior to grant funding. And then once grant funding was received, we continued enrollment at the same sites, really using the same tools under the new short-term clinical deterioration after acute PE registry. So both registries were actually populated by the same six EDs. They had similar variables, similar data recording instruments, and outcome variables. Okay. All right. So tell us a bit more about your methods and your study design. Yeah. So our study was a pre-planned analysis of data derived from prospective observational databases that we just described. This included patients that were diagnosed with acute PE, and enrollment occurred between 2016 and 2020. Now, for this analysis, we only included patients who had an SPESI score of zero. So if they had any positive response to the SPESI screen, they were excluded from the analysis. And for our primary aim, which was, again, do RV assessment methods add prognostic accuracy for five-day clinical deterioration? For that, we examined over 40 predictor variables. And using the five-day clinical deterioration composite outcome, we created two random forest models. The full model included all of our possible predictor variables, which included the RV variables of interest, 
And then we had a reduced random forest model that excluded the same RV variables of interest, but had all the other variables in it. Mm-hmm. So that was our first aim. And then that secondary aim that we talked about before, which was which prognostic factors are most predictive for clinical deterioration. We did that in two ways. First, we used a, a variable importance plot from the full random forest model, as well as through statistical inference using multivariate logistic regression to report odds ratios. All right. So let's talk about your results. Uh, so it looks like you wound up with 610 patients who were classified as low risk by PESI in the larger database, and 72 of those experienced five-day clinical deterioration. So can you tell us a little bit about the characteristics of each of these groups? Yeah, for sure. So uh, pen and paper, Alex, we're going to go through some stats, but (laughs) our mean mean age was Uh, 54.5. 54.8% of these patients were male. 7.2% were Hispanic. 28.6% were black and 65.5% were white. In the 72 that suffered five-day clinical deterioration events, the mean age was slightly higher, which makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So that was at uh, age of average of 59 as compared to 54 in the group who didn't suffer clinical deterioration. And similarly, there was a higher rate of syncope at 19.4% as mm-hmm. compared to 6.3%. Interesting. Okay. And what can you say about the presence of RV abnormalities in these patients? Well, I think the the first thing is that what we all probably suspected is that RV abnormalities were more frequent by all measures in the five-day clinical deterioration group. But mm-hmm. more specifically in the five-day group, the mean point-of-care BNP was 457 compared to 108. Mm-hmm. The mean troponin was 9.2 compared to 0.05. And the echocardiogram findings were abnormal in 58.3% of patients in that group compared to 14.7 in the group without clinical deterioration. All right. What else do you want us to know about your findings? Well, for our primary aim, which was to determine if RV assessment methods add prognostic accuracy for five-day clinical deterioration, we found that they do. And this is evidenced in our comparison of the two random forest models that we generated. So the model, which included RV parameters, that full model that we mentioned earlier, had an area under the curve of 0.80 with a coverage interval of 0.77 to 0.82, whereas the reduced model had an area under the curve of 0.71 with a coverage interval of 0.68 to 0.73. So real differences there. For our secondary aim, which again was to determine which prognostic factors are most predictive for clinical deterioration, we found that the RV assessment methods carried the greatest predictive value. And the top four predictors of deterioration were abnormal echocardiogram followed by CT determined RV to LV ratio. So those imaging parameters were first. And then the next two out of that group of 40 variables was troponin and BMP. So all RV parameters were the top four. Hmm. Okay. Um, so what, what do you think readers should take away from this study? Well, I'd say, you know, a larger, more composite outcome of clinical deterioration is needed. Uh, we're considering risk assessment of acute PE and the potential discharge of patients with acute PE. And I think historically we've looked at a narrowed, uh, group of events, things that included death or recurrence of VTE or bleeding events. But I'd argue that most providers care about many more outcomes. And that's what we tried to focus on in this study. Uh, I'd also like readers to take away that a significant portion of patients that had previously been classified as low risk for death or major bleeding or recurrent VTE by SPESI do have significant clinical deterioration events within five days that I think most providers would care about and might behave differently if they knew those outcomes were going to exist or occur. Mm. And then finally, I'd say a PE triaging strategy that includes RV imaging assessments, we, I think we've proven has a superior prognostic performance at correctly classifying PE patients as truly low risk for clinical deterioration. And ultimately, 
I'd like to see uh, something of this sort in identifying patients as candidates for early discharge. All right. So what comes next? Well, I'd say uh, we'd like to see external validation of this work on a larger database, Mm -hmm. specifically including these RV assessments as a component of risk stratification, and ultimately in order to assess their prognostic ability for these short-term clinical outcomes that we think are important to providers. But more personally for our work group, we just submitted an R01 grant to take a closer look at patients suffering from acute PE with signs of RV dysfunction on presentation. And if funded, what we're going to be doing is looking at how RV dysfunction changes over time, comparing echocardiograms at the time of presentation, and again at 24 hours, and then again at 30 days. We'll also be looking to stratify those changes according to treatment strategies to look for any significant differences and see what may be more effective in helping to resolve those RV dysfunction events. Well, best of luck with that grant, because we'd all like to see that work. (laughs) Um, Us too. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming to talk about the paper. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access for a limited time. Check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.